New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Our fears, let me count a few of them. Fear of change, fear of never changing, fear of responsibility, aging and illness, loss, failure, rejection, humiliation, fear for the planet, fear of missing out, fear of sounding stupid. The list goes on and on. Our fears may be rooted in big or small traumas haunting the past or challenges looming in the future. They cast their shadow over the smallest moments of everyday life. Our guest today observes, when we're not sure what to be afraid of, which threat to dodge next, and what direction it will come from, our fear mutates into free-floating anxiety. He goes on to point out, to soothe our anxiety, we might fall into addiction, take refuge in drug or drink, or in compulsive eating, or gambling, or gaming, or hoarding, or sex, or cutting or starving ourselves, or in magical belief systems or bogus political messiahs, anything that offers a shelter when we feel like we're going to fade away. Today we'll be exploring practical steps for navigating the free-floating anxiety of everyday fears and take a look at an unobstructed view of reality with our guest, Dean Slider. Dean Slider has taught natural methods of meditation and awakening throughout the United States and beyond since 1970. He's taught at colleges and yoga studios, to corporate offices, and maximum security prisons. He's known for his funny, down-to-earth style and for making life-transforming teachings accessible and easy. He's the author of many books, including... Cinema Nirvana, Enlightenment Lessons from the Movies, Natural Meditation, A Guide to Effortless Meditative Practice, and Fear Less, Living Beyond Fear, Anxiety, Anger, and Addiction. Join us for the next hour as we explore the practical ways of dissolving the roots of fear, anxiety, anger, and addiction with our guest, Dean Slider. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. And I want to tell our listeners before we begin, just those who are listening on the radio, Dean Slider spells his last name S-L-U-Y-T-E-R. That's S-L-U-Y. 
Y-T-E-R, Dean Slider. Dean, welcome to New Dimensions. Thanks so much. It's really great to be back here again. It's so great to have you back here again, Dean. And, you know, we, we got to start off with meditation. Why is meditation important? Well, you're right. Meditation is the, it's the core practice. And as I emphasized in my previous book, Natural Meditation, people think of it as, oh, you've got to clear your mind, you have to concentrate, you have to push away thoughts. I know it would be healthy for me to do, but it's too hard. So I stress that it's actually when someone shows you how to just stop pushing and allow yourself to be pulled, we could say, it's actually very easy. And what happens then is we sink into ourselves All the great sages, all the great masters have pointed out that we keep looking for the solution to the the problem of human life, the basic existential problem of human life, which is that A, we're scared, there's a lot of scary stuff out there, and B, we're, we're hungry. We're, as human beings, we have the, the curse and the blessing of, of a feeling that well, there's something more, even when I'm healthy and I'm well-fed and all that, what is that something more? And they point out that the solution to both of those problems, the answer to both of those questions is inside of us, whether they call it the kingdom of heaven within, whether they call it nirvana, you find it by turning within. You're not going to find it anywhere outside yourself. And that's what meditation does. It allows us to settle into ourselves, into that place of, for lack of a better word, ah. I recall something that you said in your book. It may not refer exactly to this, but life's uh, practice fire drill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what yeah. I mean. Yeah, what, what I say, and, and, and I say that in regard to all of the methods in the book, is you want to do the drill before the fire. Yes. Right. So You for, want to know where the exit is. <laughs> you want to know where the fire exit is. Uh, you want to be able to find that in the dark. For example, one very simple method that I give in the book, and in fact, this one, this chapter was just excerpted on Oprah.com. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. People can look for that one. (laughs) Right. Uh, And the chapter is titled very simply, Breathe Through Your Feet. And the chapter is about two pages long. And what I suggest that people do is, and actually anyone listening to this can try this right now, is simply... As you're breathing in, imagine that you're breathing in through the soles of your feet. As you're breathing out, imagine you're breathing out through the soles of your feet. Maybe you're breathing fast or slow, deep or shallow. Don't worry about that. Just take a few minutes and breathe in through the soles of your feet, breathe out through the soles of your feet. Now, when you do that, You'll discover, you'll discover whatever you'll discover. I, I, I can't tell you what will, what will, your experience is your experience. But what people keep telling me and what I've experienced is you can't be totally caught up in anything when you're breathing through your feet. So that, for example, here's a kind of fire that can happen is you're, you're driving and someone cuts you off and you find yourself about to go into a very 
cool as road rage situation. And instead, you take a moment, okay, breathe through my feet. I've done this drill before. I know how to do this. And you can't be completely caught up in road rage if you do that. Uh, if you're tossing and turning at night, what do I do? I'm just... Try breathing through your feet. I actually just got an email from a reader that said, I've started breathing through my feet at night. This method is going to put Ambien out of business. Oh, nicely done. Nicely done. <laughs> yes. I don't know if this has anything to do with it. I just I was with my women's group yesterday, and we light a candle and call in some quality, each one of us. Mm. And what I called in was groundedness. Mm. And it just seems to have something to do with breathing through your feet, mm -hmm. for me at least. Mm -hmm. I mean, something about just connecting us with something large and, and expansive and will hold me or that which I am held by. I, what yeah. what well, am I trying to say? You're trying to say Dharma. And I know, Justine, that you, you've got a, a strong background in, in the Buddhist teachings and that in the Buddhist world, they don't use the word Buddhism. They use the word Dharma. And Dharma comes from the root dri, which means to hold up. And usually you'll see this word Dharma explained as that which is upheld. In other words, this, these are the doctrines. We uphold these doctrines. But I interpret it, I'm not a, a scholar of Sanskrit, but this is the way I interpret it because it makes sense to me, is that it really means not that which we uphold, but that which holds up. That which when you go through all the crap of life and the easy stuff and the hard stuff, it's kind. Of, I think of it like panning for gold. When all the dross, all the pebbles wash away, what remains there? What's the gold, the precious stuff that holds up? And, and yeah, that's the, the thing. And especially as we have more experience in life, we get older, we experience illness, we experience, you know, marriages that succeed or fail. We experience some, you know, sometimes what's going on with our kids, if we have them, is very easy and fulfilling. And sometimes it's really, really trying. Um what is it that is there all the time? What can we absolutely rely on? And again, what all the sages tell us is that there, as we're experiencing all these things that come and go, that rise and fall, that are great, that are not so great, we're experiencing it from a usually overlooked place of perfect delicious silence, which is actually what we are in, in our deepest core. Usually we overlook that because we're, you know, we, we get distracted by all the shiny objects, uh, the, the good and the bad shiny objects. We get caught up in stuff. And then we come to define our lives in terms of how things work out with that stuff. And when it seems like, oh, that stuff is not going to work out, then we have fear. When we've gotten batted around by enough of those things, we have free-floating anxiety. When we think, oh, I think I've identified the person or the situation responsible for things not working out, we wind up in anger. When we get overwhelmed by any of these, we wind up in addiction, whether it's, you know, addiction to Oreos or addiction to heroin or addiction to abusive lovers, whatever it is. 
so all these maladies of life, these existential maladies that seem so different, they, it sounds like an oversimplification. But somehow, whether it's Jesus or the Buddha or Al-Halaj or Socrates or, or Lao Tzu or the Baal Shem Tov, from all these traditions, they all say, settle down within yourself. That silence is there. All this stuff tossing and turning on the waves, the surface of life, that tosses and turns. Don't try to flatten out all the waves. That's a, a hopeless task. But if you can settle down just a foot or two into the water beneath the waves, it's already always silent. And that's what you are and anyone can access it. Is meditation, some some people will practice it as a kind of time out from mm-hmm. the challenges of life and just all those challenges that you were talking about. So, so okay, so we meditate as a time out. But you're saying it's something much more than that. It's getting in touch with that, I want to say, luminous silence mm-hmm. is, I mm-hmm. guess, the two words that mm-hmm. I would put together, that it, it's silence alone for me. Sounds a little bit scary, you know, yeah, but, right. but luminous right. silence, just, right. it's like yes. a very like dynamic place, but yet it's still silent. One of the best descriptions, maybe the best description I've ever heard was from my, my old teacher, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. We're going to have that quote in just <laughs> one moment. I'm so sorry. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with... Dean Slider, and he is the author of Fearless, Living Beyond Fear, Anxiety, Anger, and Addiction. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, fearlessbook.net, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. here with Dean Slider. He is the author of Fear Less, Living Beyond Fear, Anxiety, Anger, and Addiction. And Dean, you were just going to give us a quote from from one of your teachers. Right. Uh, my, my first really serious meditation teacher, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, um, Maharishi used to say things, because oh, I was a, one of his teachers, and he would say certain things over and over again to make sure, and these things I know now, you know, whatever it is, 40 you years mean he, later. he trained you to be a teacher, yes. so to speak. Yes. yes. 
But this thing, I only heard him say once. It was in, we were in Fuji, Italy, and he was trying to describe that place, which is not a place, that core of life, that core of existence, which we settle into in meditation. And he was looking for words, and he was having trouble finding words. And finally, he said, it's just nothing but there's something very good about it. <laughs> so that kind of goes back to my luminous silence. Yes. There's, it's just nothing, but something is very good about it. Yes. You know, in the Buddhist world, they use this term emptiness a lot. And people hear that and they think, oh, emptiness, this is like the existential void and it's terrifying and it's awful and all that. But that's not empty. That's they're filling that up with their ideas of voidness. You know, if, if we have to use the term empty, I would think of, <sighs> I don't know if people will like this example, but you know when you have a really great bowel movement? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's had that experience. Yes. We can all just, relate. Oh, you just, it's all of a sudden, the air is clearer, <laughs> yeah. the sun, the birds are singing. Right. You feel deliciously you are empty. You successful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, something analogous to that. Um, but the thing is that everyone who experiences this, and you don't have to be an ancient sage, anyone who practices E, the, the ease of, of natural meditation, allowing themselves to just settle into this, will get some glimpse of it, and then the glimpses get clearer, and they last for longer. And eventually, the whole idea is that you're living from there all the time. The whole point of meditation is to not have to meditate anymore. And what everyone experiences is, oh yeah, this is what I was looking for everywhere else. No one, no one who experiences what we're talking about says, okay, I experienced it, but I didn't like it. It's not for me. It, it, yes. every, because it is what we are. It is home. And this is, this is another way we can, we can understand this. Why is it, what is the common root of fear, anxiety, anger, and addiction? They're all symptoms of what we could call a deep state of homelessness, mm. you know? Mm -hmm. Where I live in Santa Monica, and especially a few blocks away in Venice, mm -hmm. there's a lot of homeless people mm -hmm. living on the streets. And um, in a way, they're, 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 they're profound teachers to me of what is going on with us uh, we could say spiritually or existentially, when we are not experiencing what we are at the deepest level. We're not experiencing what we are. We're not experiencing this silent awareness itself, which is like the mirror that reflects all the experiences that we're aware of. Then we get caught up in all those experiences and trying to arrange our happiness and the, in terms of those things that are always moving parts and ultimately ungovernable. And so naturally, not being home, not being in this place of, ah, I've come back, here I am, this is where I belong. When we don't have that 
Anytime you're uprooted from home, you're susceptible to fear, anxiety, anger, and then the addictive cravings, you know, with which we try to to uh, self-medicate, to soothe those things. Okay. Now, Dean, if we practice this and we experience it and we bring it into our life, however, you know, several times a day or mm-hmm. we, we have it in our lives on occasion, we're getting better and better at it. Does this take us out of the activity of participating in life, does this take us out of that? No, quite the opposite. In fact, the the classic text of meditation and action in Indian tradition is the Bhagavad Gita, where all the teachings are given not to a monk in a cave, they're, getting, they're given to a warrior on the battlefield just before the battle begins. You know, and that's us. We're in the battlefield of of life. The thing is, I mean, for instance, if you think of the really great social activists, the ones who who've really changed the world, you think of Dr. King, Nelson Mandela, Gandhi. They're they're not people who were stressed. They're not people who were all wound up in the way you know some social activists are the political my parents were political activists all their friends were they i grew up seeing their meetings in my living room and pretty at a pretty young age i started to figure out how are these people going to create peace in the world when they don't have peace in themselves Ah, because they were very agitated in their activity is that what you're saying exactly when you are coming from that place of silence you're more effective. You have greater clarity. You don't mm-hmm. get caught up in stuff. One of the chapters in the book is titled, Would It Help? Uh, the, the 2015 Steven Spielberg film, Bridge of Spies, true story of Rudolf Abel, the Soviet spy who was captured in New York City and put on trial for his life. Fortunately, in the film, his lawyer is Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. So you think probably things are going to turn out okay. Um, and in their first jailhouse meeting, the lawyer says to him, you know, the, the Americans and the Soviets, you're very inconvenient for both of them. Both sides would like to see you in the electric chair. And uh, R- Rudolf Abel, played by the great Mark Rylance, who won an Oscar mm-hmm. for this part, He considers that for a moment, and then he says, all right. And the lawyer says, you don't seem worried. He considers that for a moment, and then he says with a little shrug, would it help? (sighs) (laughs) Yeah, and that, that thing is like a sword. That would it help? That is the sword of discrimination. How much of the running around like chickens with our heads cut off, how much of the Facebook tirades, how much of the you know yelling at the, the TV news, how much of that helps? How much of it mel- makes life better? How much of it reduces suffering for ourselves and others? And how much of it is just... Um, useless at best and counterproductive at worst. So, Dean, that takes me to another story. Tell us the story of Miles Davis and Herbie Hancock. Right. So young young Herbie was playing with Miles and a lineup of just all-star jazz greats in uh, Stuttgart 
in, I think, 1960-something, and they're cooking along, everything's going great, and Herbie hits a completely wrong chord. You know, he's a great keyboard player, and he hits a, a chord that is disastrously wrong. And he's, I, I believe he clapped his hands over his own ears in horror. Miles, with that literally, without missing a beat, plays a solo taking the notes of that wrong chord and making them right, weaving them into what they were playing. That is just, I mean, that's how you do it. Whatever life, exactly as you were saying, whatever life throws at you, you can say, this is wrong. This is, there's no way to deal with this. You can clap your hands over your ears and just go, ah, or you can say, okay, now it's time for my solo. It's always time for our solo. Yeah, but the trick was that Miles was master of his instrument. Yes, and that's where the meditation comes in for me, is mm -hmm. that, hey, you can't expect it to be there if you haven't done your scales, so to speak, right, if right, you right, haven't right. practiced. Is it, would you agree with yes. that? Wait, and, and again, that brings us back to you You got to do the, the fire drill before the fire. You know, toward the end of the book, um, when we start getting into some of the heavier stuff, I have a, a chapter about death, mm -hmm. uh, which is obviously a, a big topic of fear for a lot of people. And and I give some um, procedures, and, and you know from your reading in the Tibetan Book of the Dead that, that all the great spiritual traditions have procedures procedures they have some kind of narrative there you're not just thrown in there and they say okay you know good luck fella like okay here is the way to do it that is of, of letting go of the body letting go of the environment letting go of your old identity as all those things slip away there's an optimal way to do it so i i i give some of that and some breathing uh, procedures that can be helpful with that. But again, you, you don't want to wait until you're, you know, <laughs> lying there in the hospital bed, uh, breathing your, your last. It, it, it's good to, to practice this stuff. I, I do want to mention that the title of that chapter is The Valley of the Shadow. You know, that's taken from the psalm. Lo, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And the really interesting thing there, which I got from one of my teachers, is that it's not the valley of death. It's the valley of the shadow of death. It's not, we think we're scared of death, but it's, it's actually impossible to be scared of death because there is no such experience as death. There is no such experience as death. There is only the anticipation, the mental shadow, the emotional shadow that that throws on us. And that's going on right now. So that's something that we can deal with. That's something we can get a handle on. And I, I think that uh, you mentioned, because in, in your own lifetime, you had a very, very... Um, devastating death in your lifetime of your first wife, Maggie, mm -hmm. and you were with her during her dying. And she mentioned to you 
at some point. In fact, I think you said you gave her an A for her. Yeah. Her, her, her. It's the final exam. Dying's the final, final, final exam. Final exam. She, she gets got an, an A. a. <laughs> she got an A. And she said something like, um, how do people do that who who are not how meditators? Do do, yeah, she was dealing with cancer, and she said, yeah, how do people who don't meditate deal with this? And yeah, I just shrugged. I said, I, I don't know. The other really interesting thing that we'll get to. <laughs> I'm here with, with the time just keeps going away from me. Wow, I can't believe it. I'm here with Dean Slider. He's the author of Fearless, Living Beyond Fear, Anxiety, Anger, and Addiction. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dean Slider, and he is the author of Fear Less, Living Beyond Fear, Anxiety, Anger, and Addiction. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to the website fearlessbook.net, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. And we're talking about um, the death of of Maggie and and going through that as a partner and, and somebody who who was a, a deep meditator. Yes, Maggie, my first wife, was a deep meditator. She was uh, um, uh, she was just a, a thoroughly <laughs> remarkable person in so many ways. A f- she had been a fashion model and then the super mom. Um, and one day, a, a week or two before she died, she got a call from uh, someone who was was a friend of ours in a Buddhist organization that we were connected with at the time. And this person was very excited. He said, I've made some arrangements. I can bring monks, Tibetan monks, to your hospital room and, and have them chant this special thing for you that that is supposed to be good for people who are dying. And Maggie said, oh, thanks so much. But um, you know what? That has not been my practice during my life. It wouldn't be authentic for me. She said, my practice has been just being without hope or fear. Okay. Now, that is, I mean, there was so much teaching for me in in Maggie's dying, but this, just being without hope or fear. Because everyone wants to be without fear. That's why, you know, I wrote this book, Fearless. By the way, let me point out the title is not Fearless, because I haven't met anyone who's fearless, including the Dalai Lama, who jokes about being afraid of worms. Fearless, if we can just... Two words. Two words. You know, I think of our fears as being these big... They look like these big monsters looming over us, but they're actually like the floats in the Macy's Day Parade. <laughs> if we can just get hold of a little, some little pin here or there and stick little <laughs> tiny holes in them, they start to deflate. And they're still around, you know, but they're, they become like little, little, you know, soft, flaccid things bouncing around our, our ankles. So it's fear less. So Maggie said, 
my practice is just being without hope or fear. So now, Dean, this takes us to hope and fear. And and uh, like I know that you've quoted several times in the book the work of um, non-dual teacher Rupert Spira, mm-hmm. uh, whom I had the wonderful opportunity to to sit with, a lovely, lovely man. And um, he, you quote him, love is not a feeling, it's lack of other, of otherness. And you t- go on to say, like, God is love and love is non-otherness. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about fear f- as the opposite of love and so let's let's talk about fear and mm-hmm. love and that whole idea and right. what what that all means right. and how that ha- is helpful to us right we, well two things here first let's talk just a little more about fear and hope and then fear and okay. love because they are these two kind of polarities that 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 we have because people want to be without fear but they don't want to be without hope. They have this idea of, okay, keep hope alive. You know, mm-hmm. hope is usually considered a, a good thing. And uh, fine, hope gets people through a lot of things. And fine, if you're not ready to let go of, of hope, God bless. This is, this is kind of on the postgraduate level. But mm-hmm. for people who are ready to hear this, hope is the flip side of fear. Because hope and fear are both an investment in a particular outcome. They're both a way of saying, okay, I will be happy if things turn out a certain way. If they, I, So I hope they'll turn out this way. I fear that they will turn out some other way. Letting, when you let go of both hope and fear, you're just right here. Well, that reminds me of the words I say in Dalai Lama. He said, um, I do the work because it's good and right for me to do, not because I understand how the outcome will be. Yeah. And right. I think Vaclav Havel has said it, Mandela has said, Mandela uh, yeah. has said it, others have... It's have, a key teaching of the Bhagavad Gita. You have the, your, the right to your actions only, not to the fruits of your action. So it's you, you do the best thing you can do by your lights in this moment, and then... Uh, the chips fall where they may. You release it, the outcome. Yeah, yeah. And that's what, in, in Indian tradition, this is what's called karma yoga. And if you can really do that, just being in the moment of doing the action, and then the the fruit is whatever it is, and really see that you, you work as conscientiously as you can, but the outcome is 100% beyond your control, then Karma yoga is considered to be 100% as much a valid path, meditative path, as much as sitting with your eyes closed or practicing devotional practices. Right. Now let's uh, go on. Thank you for that. That's that's very clarifying. Let's go on to fear, fear and, and love. love. Yes, fear and love. So at one level... You know, they, they, and, and I quote uh, some psychiatrists and, and Oprah and a few other people all saying, you know, you can't, you can't fear and love at the same time. I can't uh, occupy the same space at the same time. I mean, it's right. maybe a physical, physics, yeah. law of physics will say love and fear. Yeah, <laughs> that, mean, because, because on, on the level where we consider them emotions, they're opposite emotions. Also, by the way, you can't fear and laugh at the same time, mm-hmm. which, is, which is interesting. 
But what? at a deeper level, as you're right, you quoted the, the, the brilliant teacher, Rupert Spira, that love is not a feeling. Love is the lack of an other. It's the lack of otherness. And this is a huge, if we really understand this, this is a huge gift because we, if we, if we think of love as this, this um, delicate, fragile emotion, which can, which has to be cultivated within, oh, in this relationship, I have this light, this love with my husband or with my, my wife or with my kids. And then it changes the outer circumstances change. And then, you know, I know so many people who feel, oh, I had love in my life once and now it's gone, Mm -hmm. or I've never had the kind of love that I longed for because they're thinking of love as a feeling. Now, when we settle into ourselves and experience that what we are is not a separate self, it's not a, this, you know, this organism, it's not this body. Because, the, you know, when I look out through my eyeballs, when I look down at my body, it's not the same body I saw when I was 15 or 25 or 35. But it's the same I, the same awareness that sees this succession of bodies. So people think, okay, I'm not the body, then I'm, I'm the mind, I'm my thoughts, I'm my convictions. But what's all that made of? It's made of thoughts. Thoughts change. You know, people say, okay, I am a liberal, I am a conservative, I am a Christian, I am a Buddhist or an atheist. But what is your religion when you're fast asleep? Hmm. When you are in the state of dreamless sleep, are you a Democrat or a Republican. And of course, it's none of the above, because those things are 100% made out of thoughts. So they're like the waves on the ocean. They are, they are, they are the waves. And, when you, and at night, in sleep, you sink into the silent water beneath the waves. The problem is you conk out, mm-hmm. and so you don't experience that, that freedom from all that thought, 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 mm-hmm. thought. Now, what happens in meditation is essentially a state of, it's a fourth state of consciousness, waking, dreaming, sleeping, and then transcendence, which is a wakeful hypometabolic state, as the, as the scientists describe it. In other words, we're settled down as we are in sleep, but we're awake to experience that silence, to experience, oh, here is the silent open, empty, sky-like, space-like, mmm, yum, delicious. It's just nothing, but there's something very good about it that I am at my core. Now, I'm going to say something here because, and I, I, I know that you can speak about this, and on, on a personal level for me, when, when Michael died, and that was four years ago, and um, there would be moments that I would feel just extreme grief just i could just feel it just invading my whole per my whole beingness and in those moments i can only call them exquisite Mm. they i i could i felt Mm. so alive Mm. and i think it has to do i think you have really defined it for me in in this writing is that that in that extreme grieving, I am no longer alone. I am no. I am otherness. I mm. am beyond myself. Yeah, you know, to grieve like that is a privilege. 
you know it's and and i talk there's a chapter in the book it's it's one of my favorite things in this book is a chapter titled lord shiva kicks and uh and i talk there about loss and 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 my own deep experience of loss when maggie died and and you know for me i remember now going to the A&P and suddenly I'm shopping for one person instead of two. And I remember I would get one yellow banana for tomorrow morning and one green banana for, you know, a day or two after that. And um, I wrote a little, I talk about this in the book, I wrote a little haiku a, a week or two after Maggie died. And it went, my heart is broken, open. And if you're lucky, and if you're paying attention to the precious opportunity of these times of deep grieving, there, 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 there is that. There is, you know, it's as if the person that we loved so much is like, they were like a window through which the beautiful sunlight was streaming into us. And then when that person dies, it's as if the window shatters and that can seem like, oh, this is just ultimate disaster. But if we pay attention, we realize that, oh, the, the window was just the, the aperture. It was the opening through which the sunlight was reaching us. And the sunlight is still there. And in fact, the sunlight surrounds us. And, and in fact, if you really pay attention, the more Lord Shiva kicks your ass, the, the, the god of destruction, the more loss you have in your life. If you pay everywhere something gets knocked down, that opens up a space through that, that allows the sunshine in if you let it and if you're paying attention. There you go. There you go. So I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with... Dean Slider, and he is a teacher of natural methods of meditation, and he's also the author of, of many books, including Fear Less, Living Beyond Fear, Anxiety, Anger, and Addiction. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, fearlessbook.net. Or you can give there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. And if you go to that website, you can also go to his homepage from there and just discover all sorts of wonderful things on his website. So I encourage everyone to do that. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Dean Slider, and he is the author of Fear Less, Living Beyond Fear, Anxiety, Anger, and Addiction. And I want to uh, tell our listeners that uh, to go, go to Dean's website called uh, fearlessbook.net and go to the homepage, and you'll find all sorts of things. You'll find some guided meditations that are totally free. You'll find his workshop uh, schedule. You can tune into that, all of that. So I, I encourage you to go to that. There's much to look at there. And also, um, I just want to mention that Dean, that you've worked uh, done quite a lot of work in prisons with prisoners. Right. Uh, so is there anything that you want to say about that? Any? It's the best. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just love working with those guys. You know, the Buddha said, do your practice, whatever it is, your meditation, your, your art, whatever it is. He was talking about Dharma practice meditation. He said, do your meditation like your hair is on fire. And prisoners, they get the seriousness of the matter. They know their hair is on fire. Uh, and I have learned so much from them. I have one chapter in the book called That Guy. And that's a great expression that they have. Like Because people think, oh, everything would be fine if it wasn't for that guy. And one night in a conversation with my group at Northern State Prison in, in Newark, New Jersey, what we decided was that that guy, the person or the situation that seems like the one stumbling block, if it wasn't for that guy, everything would be okay. That that guy, whoever he is, is your guru. That is your deepest teacher. So we can also apply that to politics these days. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we, we, can, we don't have to name any names. We don't have names. to name any names, <laughs> but, you know, we can just, you know, deep, Deep practice. Mm -hmm. uh, you do a whole practice. Um, it's called a Vajrasattva practice, but right. it's uh, purification, purification right. major practice in there yeah. that just hair on fire, hose it down practice. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I really, right. I, I love that. Also so, about the political situation, they, I do have a chapter called November 9th, 2016, mm -hmm. which I wrote the day after that election. I was red hot, and I know as I go through the country doing workshops and meeting with people that that I always, in, in my decades as a meditation teacher, I've always stayed away from politics. But this is not just a political question. This has become a mental health issue. Um, so I talk a, quite a bit about dealing with the particular landscape that changed very radically for, for a lot of people on, on after that last election. I have to say, Dean, that I, I took that chapter and I, I copied some of it and I sent it out to my very small list of friends and, and it helped me so much. And um, it just, uh, anyway, I, mm -hmm. that's enough said there, but um, you give some suggestions mm -hmm. in the book uh, how to how to be of help right. dean helps us dean <laughs> you help us how you have shown us ways that that we can help ourselves and one of them that you suggest is called um relax at the moment of contact so can you put that in context for us right and this is a teaching that i got actually from a martial arts teacher i used to practice aikido it's a beautiful very circular flowing almost dance-like japanese martial art it's a non-fighting 
martial art where when the the person comes rushing at you and what you do is you neutralize you beautifully neutralize the attack and and bring him down to them to the mat or send him flying gracefully across the room <laughs> so i was practicing for a test and uh i where in this test i was going to have to repel three attackers and what would happen was every time an attacker would come i would wind up in, in just kind of locked with him um and i and i was practicing this in the dojo and just not getting anywhere being very frustrated suddenly i heard the voice of my teacher from across the room he was halfway up the stairs to the men's dressing room and he shouted to me relax at the moment of contact and then i realized that every time one of the attackers grabbed me i was tightening up and that made it impossible for me to throw him and so i try that and now when when i was grabbed i would relax let go instead of tightening up and lo and behold suddenly i was able to do the aikido technique and send the guy flying across the room and then i would freeze up again and again the teacher would say relax at the moment of contact and the guy would come and i would throw him across the room and that goes back to something that you said at the very beginning of the interview of our time together here and that's breathing through your feet. Mm-hmm. You know, I would think that that if if we can just relax at the moment of contact, take that deep breath through right. the bottoms of our feet and bring it up and take it down that that moment. Right. Yeah. That's that's one way to do it. And I give a lot of ways to do it. I mean, my theory is throw a bunch of strands of spaghetti against the wall, see what sticks. It's not one size mm-hmm. fits all. I encourage people to sit in meditation with their eyes closed every day. It doesn't have to be real long time, 15, 5, 10 minutes, something. But also there's all these little things you can do through the day. Like just, you know, when the the moment of contact is not going to be in a martial arts dojo usually, but it'll be that moment of potential road rage. It's going to be that moment where you get up to speak in front of the group and your mouth is going dry. That moment where you want to ask the person for the date. And you, that moment where suddenly your child is confronting you they want to go to this college and you're not sure if you have the money the all these moments of contact through the day and if we can relax at that exactly at the moment when we're going to tend to tighten up we just our horizon becomes clearer we can see more possibilities we can be more effective in our action for ourselves and and for others right great there's another one that i just loved and it was uh, smacking the hands. Right. I kind of think of this in the in the Tibetan. Sometimes in the middle of meditation, a, a teacher might suddenly, out of nowhere, go, "Pa!" Mm-hmm. And it's like everybody's just just right. shocked. And, right. uh, but this is kind of like that. Right. To do, do it that, yourself. Do it yourself. Yes. So describe right. it. So this is, and again, this is. I have a whole chapter about this. It's it's titled, "Drop Your Thoughts." Simple, simple thing. You smack your, you put your hands in front of your eyes and smack them together and drop your thoughts for, say, five seconds. Now, drop them doesn't mean that they have to go away. The person says, oh, I'm trying to drop my thoughts, but they won't go away. Well, that's not dropping them. That's holding on to the idea that they're supposed to go away. Drop them means drop your engagement with them. Relax your grip on them. We started to say before that this idea that, oh, I, you know, your religion, your politics are made 100% out of thoughts. 
You can't you you can't have a religion. You can't have politics when you when you can't when you're not thinking. And this also goes for all our story and sometimes our sad story and our I veus mirror my this big fighting with my mom and this and that and all this stuff that I'm dreading or hoping for in the future. It's in here in this moment. It's all made out of thoughts. And if you most people go through most of their lives in the grip of that stuff. And if you can just smack your hands together and drop it for five seconds, you are weakening its grip on you. And you just just do that whenever you think about it. And the stuff will come back, but it comes back weaker. You're fearing less. All right, there's there's another one that I have to mention that's so much fun. And it's called uh, Dare to be Silly. (laughs) <laughs> and you you established the uh, silly walks Olympics after the, uh, uh, right. Monty, the Monty Python. Python, and I just imagine the silly walks like if if we we got uh, Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer, you know, doing <laughs> right. silly walks do Olympics or right. or get yeah. get uh, President Trump and Putin or or right. or Kim Jong Un, you right. know, just doing silly walks, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. Uh, man, uh, yeah. it just made me smile. Right, right, and this stuff, you know, this that particular thing where I came up with the silly walks Olympics was from when I used to teach. I, I used to be an English teacher at a at a fancy prep school in New Jersey, and. Uh, I taught a course in public speaking, and people have so much fear. You know, that's rated. That's the people have more fear of public speaking than they do of death. So, if before you do public speaking, if you can practice by going doing silly walks, so you don't have to worry about being making a fool of yourself because you've already done it to the <laughs> max. That's very helpful. Another thing is there's some really great vocal stuff that that I share in the book. My favorite is singing descending fifths, like for those of us of a certain age, you'll know the song Blue Moon. Right. Ah. And that sounds like also a buoy out in the yes. bay that sa- that does yes. that same interval. And it's amazing how universal that interval is. For mm-hmm. instance, in the civil the civil war was a clash between people who sang Oh, say, can you see? And people yeah. who who sang, I wish I was in the land of cotton. Right. right? They both start yeah. with that descending fifth yeah. because that is the sound of letting go. Ah, right. tension resolved, question answered, let go. These are just some, a few of the, the the little techniques that that you have, and as you say, you, you use them, but then there'll come a time that you can release them. It's not getting attached to them and saying, "Okay, this is the way it's going to be for the rest of my life." Right. You you use them, and then it. They're all they're all on ramps. Exactly. And the, and the idea is get as quickly as we can into the express lane of just being. Dean, I want to thank you so much for being part of New Dimensions today. I've been speaking with Dean Slider. He is the author of Fear Less, Living Beyond Fear, Anxiety, Anger, and Addiction. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, fearlessbook.net. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. 
I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3644. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. This program was recorded at Strawberry Hill Productions, a full-service podcast production studio in Novato, California. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions, as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions, whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.